Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Hope you've had a blessed week. Uh, looking forward to all the festivities coming up with Christmas. Uh, we've had already some things uh, going on this past week, but want to welcome those of you who are on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all of our social media platforms there. Welcome there. If you're on our phone live streaming, welcome there also. If you have any issues, please comment there and let us know uh, so we can get those things corrected. We had a few issues earlier uh, with the system, so hopefully everything is going well with that. If you do have access to our church website, go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. So under the info tab, you can download the worship bulletin uh, there. You can also download the children's worship bulletins, and you can also uh, download the prayer list for this week. So just want to encourage you to take the time uh, to do that. We've got a lot of things we're going to be cramming into the service today, and I don't want to keep here too long. Um, somebody's watching their watch up there for me. <laughs> so, and they changed the clock on the wall, so I'm confused now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Brother Mike, come and lead us, if you will. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, as we enter into this, this time of the year with Christmas season and we start singing Christmas songs, uh, uh, it makes it a little easier on, on us, but it's a whole lot of fun to sing a Christmas song. So why don't y'all stand right now and sing with us, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It'll be hymn 77. Ladies. <laughs> And at this time, we have our missionary moment. Uh, you'll find that uh, in your bulletins uh, there in telling the story of Don and Pam Lynch, who are serving in Belgium. Uh, we also begin this week with our week of prayer for international missions and our Lottie Moon Christmas offerings. So we want to encourage you to be praying as we seek to reach our goal uh, of $8,000. Uh, and uh, as you do that throughout this whole month, uh, we encourage you to continue to pray. Uh, but use this guide, if you will, especially uh, for this week. We're going to be sharing some videos with you uh, over the next several weeks about our international missionaries. So if you would prayerfully watch this video about one of our missionaries. Thank you so much for your support. Yes, you. How you are supporting this orality ministry across Sub-Saharan Africa. Orality, in the simplest definition, is that people that have a reliance on the oral or spoken word as opposed to the written word for communication. We've seen how people groups for centuries to pass on their culture, to pass on their wisdom to the next generation, they rely on storytelling or music or drumming or dance 
these art forms to pass down knowledge in, in this oral preference way. So realizing all of that, we are using God's word in a narrative or a Bible storytelling mode to transmit truth through scripture. Uh, as you give to the cooperative program, as you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that supports our work, and we thank you. And the offering that you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of that goes to uh, the mission field to support those missionaries and their work there on the field. Your regular cooperative program gifts give to, to help support the overhead costs of things there uh, in Richmond, Virginia at our International Mission Board offices. Uh, so prayerfully give towards this offering. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, as well as for our missionary family of the week, Don and Pam Lynch. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the blessing of this day. And Father, as we come into your presence, we ask for your spirit to be present with us. We ask for you to speak to our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored in our lives. And as we ask that, Lord, we understand that we are uh, unholy people, Lord, that we have sinned against you. And Lord, whether that's in, in things that we have sinned directly against you or we failed to do things that you've commanded us to do. And so, Father, we ask for your cleansing by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Set us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake to live for you each and every day. And Father, we pray that you would hear our prayers uh, this morning. We want to pray especially for Don and Pam Lynch who are serving in Belgium. We want to pray for the work that is going on in sub-Saharan Africa with the storytelling uh, and sharing the gospel through uh, the Bible and, and stories. And Father, I just pray that you will open up the opportunities there for many more people to come to faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. So thank you, Lord, for what you're already doing around this world through this church and many other Southern Baptist churches that are joined together. And Father, we just pray for your will to be done in this service this morning as we come to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let me just remind you, you can do your uh, giving. You have envelopes in front of you in the pews. Uh, the plates are at the front at the doors as you leave. Uh, you can also do that online by going to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, go, go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab. Easy platform there to set up uh, your one-time gift or a recurring gift. So I want to take the time to encourage you to do that. We've got a lot of announcements that I'm going to wait for them to share with you uh, at the end so you won't forget those uh, when we get to that. But just want to say thank you to those who helped us uh, over these last few weeks getting ready for the parade last night. Uh, as well as for, uh, we, we also have a Christmas tree, if you don't know it, at the Trees of Christmas at South Jackson. I uh, want to encourage you to go by there, vote for our tree. <laughs> uh, and so, a little plug there. And then, uh, thank you to those who helped, though, with the parade float uh, and with those bags. We were able to give out 2,000 packs of hot chocolate with a gospel track in it, as well as uh, 2,000 uh, pieces advertising our Christmas program uh, that'll be coming up in two weeks from today on Sunday night. So uh, you did an awesome job in helping us with all that and all those who participated riding on the float, handing those out, getting everything ready. So just wanted to say thank you so much for that. Uh, it's an opportunity we had here locally to share the gospel. Uh, and it's a way even our kids were able to get involved with that, riding on the float uh, to draw attention uh, to what we were sharing with others. So thank you so much. Hmm? Yes. Okay, turn your hymnals now to hymn 76, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Bill, would you lead us? Miss Bill Royton is going to do our special this morning. got me yeah there we go you know this time of year it's our advent we're looking forward to something um, Sunday school this morning 3,000 years ago the Israeli people in Egypt looked forward to a time God would bring them out 2,000 years ago people of Israel were still looking for somebody to bring them out from underneath somebody else's rule in my daily life there are times I look for God to do something and bring me out or bring me through. Hopefully y'all have never gone through that, okay? Um, but it happens with us. This song is called, He Who Is Mighty. To those who sit in death's shadow, the sun on high pierced the night, born was a cornerstone. Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. He who is mighty has done a great thing, taken on flesh conquered death sting shattered the darkness and lifted our shame holy is his name oh the freedom our savior won the yoke of sin has been broken once a slave now by grace no more condemnation unto us a son is given unto us a child is born he who's mighty has done a great thing taken on flesh darkness and lifted our shame. Children's Church will be gathering over here during this next song on the piano side. So take your hymnals now and let's stand and sing Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. We'll do all four verses. Mm -hmm. 
Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to not Matthew's Gospel. Uh, we actually looked at Matthew's Gospel. We're going to springboard from that. I do want to just draw your attention to one place there in Matthew. But if you will, turn over to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, is where we're going to go to from this. We talked about this last week, the biggest lie, uh, the... As Jesus had been resurrected from the tomb, we found out that Matthew's gospel is the only gospel that tells us what the Roman soldiers uh, did afterwards and how they go to the Jewish authorities. Uh, and that's what you find there in those last verses in verse 11 through verse 15 uh, of Matthew chapter 28, if you want to read that. Uh, that It shares with us there that they went and they began to make up uh, this uh, scheme to say that the disciples had come and stolen the body of Jesus away. And we talked about some of the possibilities uh, of the resurrection. Uh, but I want to take you, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're just going to stand and read here verse 1 down through verse 4. Uh, and then I'll share with you a little bit more and we'll get into the rest of the passage. So if you would, let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for your Word and the truth of your Word. And Father, as we look at what Paul has to tell us about the resurrection in light of what we've seen in Matthew's Gospel, Father, I pray that even in the world we live in where there are many people who want to deny the resurrection, who want to deny the authority of Jesus Christ on our lives, Father, I pray that you will use this to speak truth into our hearts, that if there is even one person who's here this morning or watching online who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, May today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, for us as believers, may you use it to encourage us, to strengthen us in our walk, and to be faithful more than ever before to share the good news of the gospel with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. Now, as I said last week, we looked at the power of the resurrection, and we looked at those possibilities of the resurrection, possibilities that people have hypothesized throughout the generations. One was that Jesus himself uh, didn't die on the cross, uh, that it was someone else, uh, and that's what the Muslim faith says. Uh, others would say that it wasn't that Jesus didn't die on the cross, he, was just, he just fainted, uh, if you will. Uh, there were other possibilities that we came up with, talked about last week that said that Jesus' tomb was empty. Uh, it wasn't empty, uh, that they just went to the wrong tomb and all their sorrow and all their grief, uh, they went to the wrong place. But we talked about all the, the, the things about those uh, possibilities to show that if they had gone to the wrong place, all somebody had to do was point out and say, no, it's over here. Uh, and you could see it's still sealed up and Jesus is still in there. Uh, and so we, we talked about the, how the possibility was there that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. And then we saw the implications of the resurrection, that, that Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We saw that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we don't have to worry about a thing he said because it was all a lie. But if he did rise from the dead, then we have to accept everything that he said because his authority is absolute. Uh, we finally saw the power of the resurrection also in that message last week that seen in that one question, did Jesus arise from the dead? But in this message, I want to go back to the possibilities there of the resurrection again and how everything changed so quickly in that culture. One of the proofs, one of the evidences that we saw was how Christianity just almost sprang up uh, overnight uh, and grew so quickly and suddenly when those J soldiers had gone to the Jewish authorities and made up that biggest lie in the history of the world. But we might ask, what does that lie have to do with us today? Uh, think about what happened there. 
There was, there was no process, there was no development, there was no debate, no discussion, yet in a relatively short time, thousands upon thousands of people believed that Jesus rose from the grave. How do you explain the, the influence and, and the dramatic change in their behavior in the days before the resurrection to the days after the resurrection? And we saw in those verses that in addition to those 12 disciples, uh, 11 after Judas had killed himself, uh, hundreds of other people claim to have seen the risen Savior. And, and Paul himself tells us in the passage we're about to read here uh, that over 500 brothers saw him at one time. In other words, we said, Paul was saying, go ask them. If you don't believe our, uh, what we're telling you, if you don't believe the evidence we're showing you, go ask all those at the hundreds of people who saw Jesus in, in the flesh, and you can verify this. And, and then you look at what happens to Paul himself and how Paul was so radically transformed. I mean, you remember who Paul was? He was Saul before he was Paul, and he was one who was going around persecuting the New Testament church. Not just persecuting, he was killing them. And on a road to Damascus, a blinding light appeared, and he was blinded, and he called out to God, called out to the Lord when he saw Jesus there. And he was radically transformed and changed in his life. In the middle of this text that we're about to read through, Paul says, I live in danger every hour of my life. Literally, I'm risking my life every single day. And he talks about all kinds of troubles that he went through. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 23 through verse 28, he, he has a long list of things that happened to him there. He said, are they servants of Christ? He said, I am, I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings that he experienced, often uh, near death. He says, five times uh, I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes, uh, less one. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Did you hear all that? And Paul did all of this, uh, unafraid of man, willing to lay down his life on a daily basis. Why? Because he knew that the Lord had called him to be an apostle, to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And as a result, uh, he was going wherever Jesus led him to go, doing whatever Christ called him to do, no matter how radical it, it might seem, no matter what sacrifices might be involved, no matter what risks it, it might mean that he would have to take. It's like what he said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 22 to 24. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of obedience that we ought to want in our hearts and in our lives also. Compelled by the Holy Spirit, doing whatever the Spirit leads us to do. Uh, not knowing what will happen to us as a result, but knowing that if we, uh, that even though it's not going to be easy, if we do what he wants us to do, he will bless us. Uh, and, and why do we do all that and why should we do all that? Because our life is to be worth nothing to us unless we complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to us. So why should we follow Christ with that kind of radical, sacrificial, risk-taking obedience? So the question I want to look at this morning from this text is, where do you get a courage like that? How do you have that kind of laser focus like Paul had? What is it that compels a person to have that radical, sacrificial, uh, risk-taking obedience to Christ? Why should we follow him with that kind of obedience. Understand that when, Paul, what Paul, that when Paul says that even if he offers his body to be burned as a Christian or, or martyred as a missionary, if he does it without love, it's meaningless. 
And, and so Paul, you, you'll notice throughout all his ministry, he was driven by love. Love for Christ and love for people. Uh, why should we follow Christ like this with this kind of obedience? It, it ought to be driven by our love for him and our love for others. Now, there's a few reasons I want you to see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as to why we ought to follow Christ like this that would help us to overcome uh, the obstacles here of the biggest lie in history. So what I want you to do is uh, I don't normally uh, read long passages of Scripture like this, but I want to take you through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, uh, look along with me there. You can look along uh, on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will pick up with verse 5. And so verse 5 says, And that he appeared. He appeared to Cephas, then to twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one, un, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, he says, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has, also, has come also the resurrection of the dead. As for, for as Adam, in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subject to him, then the Son of Man himself will also be subject to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? In other words, that was a, a thing that was going on in that day. There were, there were those who were baptizing uh, themselves in place of somebody else who had already died, hoping that would get them to heaven. And he says, why are you even doing that if, if, if resurrec the resurrection uh, doesn't even happen? He says uh, in verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Then he goes on in verse 35 and says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. 
For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. They are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is the one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's speaking of Jesus there. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What a powerful passage that we read there. Notice you see it at the very end there, that last verse. This is what this whole chapter is building towards. Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to be steadfast, to, be, to hold fast their faith, to be immovable, unshakable in their conviction, in, in their actions, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor, our lives is not to be in vain. That's it though, isn't it? That's what we all want to have in our lives, that when we come to the end of our life, we have lived our life not in vain. Uh, to, you know, as, as we look at this passage, none of us wants to waste our lives uh, and, and, and to come to the end and say, well, it was all nothing. You know, none of us wants to get to the end of our lives and, and look back and say, Lord, you know all, the th all those things you put on my heart to do, all those things you told me to do? I didn't do them and I wasted my chance. I tell you this morning, I don't want to waste the chances that the Lord gives me to serve Him. And there's two reasons I want to share with you quickly this morning with. One, is, one reason is why, because death is coming. Death is coming. That's one of the things Paul is saying to the New Testament church here. We ought to always want to abound in the work of the Lord on this earth because we know that none of us are here for very long. I don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time. The Bible says we're only here for a short while. It's like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Here one second, gone the next. And death is coming to every single one of us. And that's the glaring reality of what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Right in the middle of this chapter, did you see it there in verse 21? It says, by a man came death. And then in verse 22 it says, in Adam all die. Every single one of us in Adam. In other words, every single one of us born in the human race are going to die. Death is our destiny. But death is also our enemy. 
1 Corinthians 15, 26 uh, makes it clear there that death is our enemy, our final enemy. And, and so remember why we die. We die because we have sinned against God. What are the wages of sin? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so we understand there that, that we are going to die because of sin. Death was, uh, was not the way it was supposed to be. God created man and woman in Genesis chapter 2 to live, but death entered into the world because of sin, and it comes with all of its tragic consequences onto our lives and upon this world. So even as Christians... There's not a one of us here who like funerals. We're frustrated to live in a world that's filled with funeral homes and cemeteries. And these things in this world ought to remind us that our death is coming. It could happen any time. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It could be this week. Life is short. So let me encourage you, do what the Lord places in your heart to do while you still have the time. Because not a single one of us who are here this morning are guaranteed tomorrow. So obey today. I mean, think of this. Think of all the unreached people. I mean, we just emphasized our, our international missions offering and our international missions prayer emphasis. Think of all the unreached people around the world, and not just around the world, but draw it in close here to Tullahoma, people who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their, and their Savior, people who are in your lives that we interact with on a daily basis that don't know Christ. And death is coming. Death is coming for us, but it's coming for them also. And so do something. You know, love. Uh, love radically and, and sacrificially and, and take those risks to serve the Lord and whatever. Share the gospel no matter what, what it might mean for your reputation. Demonstrate the gospel uh, no matter what the sacrifices are that it might mean for your life or maybe your family or, or your budget or your future. Spread the gospel, and no matter what resistance you might get. And understand, feel that urgency of Christ within you. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that, that Luke 9 uh, tells us to, to not go back and, and bury our Father, to have that kind of urgency, but to go and to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God now. Why? Because somebody else's death is coming. Yours is coming there's a lost and dying world around us that their death is coming to. Life is short, so obey today. Follow Christ with that radical obedience. We ought to also want to follow Christ in that kind of obedience because the resurrection is real. So with the reality of the resurrection, of death as the backdrop that he's already laid out in those first 11 verses of this chapter, uh, Paul here, uh, he, he gives a, a wonderful uh, gospel presentation there in those first uh, few verses of, of chapter 15 uh, of the gospel. God in the flesh, Jesus who died on the cross, uh, who, who was buried in a tomb, arose on the third day and, and gave victory over sin and death, appearing to many witnesses of whom Paul says that I am one before he ascends into the heavens. And so Paul, he's just laying the foundation here that if we're not careful can seem pretty elementary to us. You know, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. That's simple. We believe that. Uh, we can almost read the first part of this chapter uh, kind of with a ho-hum sense of, uh, of monotony. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I know the resurrection. But there's nothing ho-hum about the resurrection. We're talking about a man who died violently, who died a violent death uh, in, in one of the most inconceivable ways to die on a cross. And then at, after three days of being dead, he comes back to life and appears to people. I mean, could you imagine going to somebody's funeral and, and going to their burial, seeing the body placed uh, in the grave in the ground, and then a week later the person's uh, walking around, walking up to you, talking to you. I mean, that would be crazy to us, but that's what was happening here with Jesus. It, 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 it's great news for the world. Death has been defeated. And so may the gospel never be ho-hum for us. May we never forget that the reason we gather on Sundays rather than some other day is purposeful because it was the first day of the week. And so even at a time like this when we're celebrating Christmas, 
The birth of Christ is important. The crucifixion is important. But without the resurrection, those mean nothing. So remember what we're celebrating here at Christmas time is ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ because throughout Christian history, Christians have gathered together on this first day of the week that, to celebrate and to remember that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is alive. Now, that's a fundamental part of the gospel, but there was a problem at Corinth. Many of the people there had grown up with a Greek worldview that believed in the immortality of the soul but not the body. So when we die according to a Greek worldview, that's the end of our, the story for our bodies. Our soul goes on but, but never, to, never to fill a body again. And so many of these Christians were denying that once they died, their bodies would never be resurrected. Instead, only their souls would live on forever. And so Paul writes this chapter here to say, do you realize what you're saying? Do, do you realize the implications of what you're believing? In essence, Paul says in verses 12 to verse 13, as, as well as verse 16, if you don't believe in a physical resurrection of your body, then you're saying Jesus himself didn't physically rise from the dead. And then right after that, he begins to talk about the implications of that. And he says, well, what if? What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? There are several unavoidable conclusions that you come to that Paul lays out that have really tragic consequences. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, he says, then our faith is futile, it's empty, and, and we stand guilty before God because he didn't pay for our sin. Our, our faith is in vain, according to verse 14. Your faith is futile, according to verse 17. It's pointless, it's worthless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we've staked our life and, in fact, our eternity on bones that are still in a grave somewhere in Israel. And even worse, verse 17 tells us we're still in our sins. You say, well, I thought it's Jesus' death on the cross that provides the forgiveness for our sins. And indeed, the cross is where we see that he died for sin in the place of sinners. But the resurrection is where we see that his sacrifice has been accepted by God on behalf of sinners, and God has raised him from the dead to life to show that everyone who trusts in him will have life forever with him. Romans 4.25 puts it this way, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, for our sins, and raised for our justification. And so if his resurrection isn't re a reality, neither is our justification, and we stand guilty before God. But then keep on following the implications here. If that's the case, Paul goes on to say, then our message is false. Everything I preach every Sunday is false. And our mission is destructive. What we preach is, is vain in verse 14. It's not true. It's like we're spreading lies, and that makes our mission destructive. Verse 15, we're even found to be misrepresenting God. And that's huge. We're spreading falsehoods about God and, and defaming and dishonoring God himself. And if that's not enough, Paul says... It keeps going on. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then those who died in Christ have been judged before God to spend an eternity in hell already. Paul says in verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. And the word he uses there for perish is more than just physical death. Physical death is what Paul means when he says those who have fallen asleep in Christ. And that makes sense when you put it together. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then Christians who have died were not forgiven of their sins. They were guilty before God as a result, and now they're experiencing that eternal damnation, the, the everlasting punishment for their sins. And then Paul concludes, even for his own life and for the lives of other followers of Christ, uh, and says there in verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, or, or sorry, in verse 19 he says, uh, if, I, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What a sad statement. 
if all we have is this life, we're to be most pitied. He goes on to say in verse 29 about baptism there, which some believed, we said, as a reference to practice that, that some of the Corinthian Christians were practicing there and participating in, that if someone would be baptized on the behalf of somebody who's dead, which was not taught in the Scriptures, uh, that, and others believe this wording actually is a reference to, to simple believer's baptism. The imagery is being baptized in the body that will die in the hope of the body to be raised, but that's nowhere in the Scripture. And so Paul's making this point to say whatever practice this is that he's mentioning here, it doesn't make sense if the resurrection isn't real. And then in verse 30 is when Paul talks about the danger he experienced on a daily basis, all the suffering that he's endured for the spread of the gospel. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, he says, I'm wasting my time. And why did I go through all the sufferings that I went through? And so Paul says here and in other places all throughout the New Testament, he says, I'm embracing suffering here because I know my reward is coming. But if there's no reward in eternity, then my life makes no sense on earth. And if there's no resurrection in this life, all there is, then he says, just eat, drink, be merry, have a party. And isn't that what our world says? Let's just eat, let's just drink, let's just party it up. There's nothing else to this life beyond death. Understand this about biblical Christianity, though. Biblical Christianity is about laying down your life in a radical, sacrificial, risk-taking obedience to Christ. It's about spreading the gospel, embracing suffering, going to the hard places, going to the needy places, and you know some of the needy places and some of the people who need to hear, they're right across the street from you. They're in your neighborhood. That's the kind of lifestyle that only makes sense if Christ is risen from the dead. And kind of begs the question, doesn't it? Are, are you living your life in such a way that, only, that it only makes sense if Christ is risen from the dead? Or does your life look virtually like the rest of the world, filled with the same possessions? prioritizing the same comforts, the same securities of this world. And the only difference is if you believe you'll go to heaven when you die. Paul says, pity the way I'm living. Pity the risks I'm taking. Pity the sacrifices I'm making, the suffering I'm enduring. Feel sorry for me if Jesus is not risen from the dead. And the same commentary should be said of each one of our lives. But now follow this with me. Uh, don't just think about the implications of if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Turn it around and think about the implications that exist because Jesus was raised from the dead. So we've thought about the implications if the resurrection didn't happen, but it's true it did happen. Paul says in verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And that's one of the greatest buts, one of the greatest transitional sentences in all of the Bible. It's like Paul brought us to, con to the point to consider all those tragic consequences if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And then he brings it right back up to say, but thankfully that's not true. He's risen. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, Understand this, if you're a believer here this morning, our faith is well-founded, and we stand forgiven before God. Our faith is not empty. It is extremely well-founded. To every single person in this room who, who, who understands and, and knows Christ as our Savior, every single one of us in this room, we need forgiveness before God. And every single one of us deep down inside, even when we don't think about it, realize it or admit it, needs to be restored to God the one who made us, the one who formed us, the one who created us. There's that deep longing within your heart that something is missing. And that something is Jesus Christ, who he sent that we celebrate at this time of year to be born in a lowly manger, to live a perfect sinless life, to die on a cross, be buried in a tomb, and then to arise from the grave on the third day, giving us victory over sin, over death, over hell, and the grave. What a powerful message. There's no better, wiser, more secure, more eternally secure place to place your faith than in Jesus Christ. And in Him, and only through faith in Him, can you stand forgiven before God. And in light of all that, hear this point. Our message is true.
in our message is urgent because we've seen the one who's conquered death. He conquered death on behalf of sinners around the world and those sinners uh, who are dying. And, and we only have a short time on this earth to live. And so our mission is urgent. So go in the confidence that those who have died in Christ now dwell with God. And, and that all who have gone before us and have trusted in Christ, though they have died, yet now they live. And this is the hope for which we now live. So, so give your life even to the point of death in a radical sacrificial obedience to whatever Christ shows you in his word to do, knowing that obedience like this is not to be pitied in this world. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. When you know Jesus is risen from the dead, then no matter where he leads, no matter what it costs, no matter what others might say to you, you can keep going forward. You can keep sharing the good news of the gospel. It is not in vain. Your life will not be in vain. When you do what Jesus tells you to do, it will count. In fact, whatever, whatever the risen Christ says to do is the only thing that will count. So Paul just keeps on going, and it gets better and better from here because look on to verse 23. He says, when Jesus returns to the earth, Paul calls the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits. In other words, they are the first part of the harvest, and they are the promise of more harvest to come, more fruit to come. So Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. In other words, it's the sign of what's to come. It's the sign of what's to come for us, that those who belong, in, who belong to Christ shall be made alive. And, and at his return, verse 24 says that he will deliver the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. And verse 26 says, and that last enemy will ultimately finally be destroyed, death. So when the risen Christ returns, he destroys death. Now, we still die here. But one day Jesus is coming again, and there'll be no more death and there'll be no more sorrow, and there'll be no more pain, and there'll be no more suffering. There's coming a day when death will be no more. And the end of this, ver this chapter is so triumphant where Paul writes in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Not all of us are going to sleep. Not all of us are going to die. Because one day, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trump is going to sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised uh, to, to live with him, and we who are alive in Christ are going to rise with them, and the saying shall come to pass, death has been swallowed up forever. Think about that. No more dying of cancer. Uh, no more fatal car accidents. No more tsunamis, no more suicides, no more hunger, no more starvation, no more suffering. Death itself will no longer have any sting at all because sin will have fully and finally been removed and with it, death. And he will raise us to life. Now, Paul, when he talked about death, he said in Philippians 1, I desire to depart and be with Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so the picture we have in the Scripture is the souls of believers upon death immediately enter into the presence of God to live with Him forever. Let me ask you this. Do you want your life to count in this world? Then live your life in whatever days and whatever moments you have left. Live your life with that day in mind knowing it could happen today. Live with that urgency. When God brings opportunities across your path, share the gospel with people and follow Christ with that radical obedience, doing whatever he puts on your heart to do, knowing life is short, death is coming, the resurrection is real, and all of history is headed towards that day when the enemies of God will one day finally ultimately be defeated, and the glory of God will be exalted forever. Live your life for him. Don't waste your life for this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.
Thank you for all you've done for us. And thank you, Lord, that we can live in a confidence because of what you've done for us. Father, I pray this morning that if there is any who are here this morning who have never by faith trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Father, may they call out to him today, recognizing their need for salvation. Lord, that they would call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And Father, if someone has done that in their hearts, may they come forward this morning in this, in this time of invitation. Father, I pray that they would come to publicly profess that faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. But Father, there may be others of us here as believers that for whatever reasons, Lord, if this were the last day of our life, if this were the last moments of our life, I wonder if we were to look back over our life and to realize I wasted a lot of time that I could have been telling somebody about Jesus. I wasted a lot of resources that you blessed me with to be a blessing to others to share the gospel. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning. Lord, maybe there's someone that you're, you're speaking to in their hearts to, to accept a call into ministry and to service in your kingdom work. Lord, I pray that they would come this morning. We give everything that we have and everything that we are, Lord, that even as we get ready to leave this morning, Lord, I pray that we will go forth into the mission field and be all you would have us to be and do all you would have us to do. Say all you would have us to say. Father, I pray that you will fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 305, I've decided to follow Jesus. Will you make your way and come as the Lord lays on your heart? Brother Mike, if you'll come. I have decided to follow Jesus. seated for just a moment. Brother, if you'll come and share. Uh, just a couple things before we dismiss uh, Scarlett. Hi, everyone. I'm serving this year as the chairman of the stewardship committee. Next Sunday, we'll have our quarterly business meeting, and one of the things we'll vote on is the budget for the upcoming 2024 year. Um, I'm putting the proposed budget up here. We ask that each family come by and get one so y'all can look it over. That way next Sunday, if you have any questions throughout this week, you'll have a chance to ask them and we can help you with anything we can with that. Thank you. Just uh, please remember Robert Everett as he has knee surgery tomorrow. Uh, please uh, keep the families of Dee Dee Henderson and Ken Jordan in your prayers this week. Um, as Dee Dee Henderson's visitation is Tuesday at Kilgore Funeral Home uh, from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. The funeral services are the following day here at Highland Baptist at 10 a.m. Um, and Ken Jordan's memorial service is Thursday, December 7th at 1 p.m. at First Baptist. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and uh, pray and dismiss.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Uh, thank you for the, the breath in our lungs that gives us the opportunity to rejoice you uh, one more day. Uh, please be with us as we dismiss um, and bring us safely back this evening. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thank you.